Father God, I thank you that um, by your Holy Spirit that you are present among us. Um, and so I pray that you would just awaken us to, to your presence here, that you would um, teach, that you would bring comfort where we need comfort, that you would bring conviction where we need conviction. Um, we love you. So we just give this time to you, we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's the, here's the plan today. Um, we're going to take a look at a passage from the book of James in the New Testament. And um, after a quick look at where the writer's coming from, a little bit of sort of context, we're going to dig into the passage itself, verse by verse. We're going to try to to figure out what the writer is getting at in this particular passage. Um, but, but here's the thing. Um, if, if my read on this passage is right, then there are a ton of different ways of possibly applying this passage of Scripture. I mean, maybe that's true with all Scripture, but it, I was acutely aware of it this week, of the myriad different ways that we might apply this Scripture. And there's likely a different way of applying the scripture for each person in the room. So in thinking about, about what we might do at the back end of this particular exploration of God's word today, here's, here's what I figured we might do. Um, I'm actually thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up for questions. Um, many of you would know that when I'm not here, I'm a, when I'm not here at the church, I'm a teacher. So getting questions and stuff is, is something to which I am very much accustomed. So as we're going through this passage, uh, if there are some questions that occur to you, just sort of make a mental note, um, and I'll take some questions at the back end if you have any. Um, anything is, is, is fair game. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you challenge me or disagree with me, um, and you're not going to embarrass me if you ask a question to which I do not know the answer, because I'm used to that too. Um, my students are pretty smart, so that happens to me fairly regularly. And, and, and after that, we're just going to kind of sort of figure out where to go from there. So if we're cool with that, well, even if you're not cool with that, that's what we're going to do this morning. So, so let's go. Um, the passage we're going to look at today is from James chapter 1. Um, there are Bibles at the back if you want to grab one. But we're going to look at the, the second half of the first chapter of, of that book of the Bible. I'm going to be reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So, uh, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of, of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and having 
and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, sometimes if, if we're not, if it can be easy if we're not careful to, to forget where we are. You know, um, you, you walk into a room and immediately forget what you came there, went there for. I, 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 maybe, I'm, maybe I'm alone in that. I've been doing that since my teens. Um, and, and I'm a little concerned for what that might, that might um, indicate for, for my future. But, but I do that fairly regularly. I, I forget, I can forget where I am and I for, can forget what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, I, I remember I used to um, play piano and a little bit of organ for a, for a very traditional um, church service that, that engaged in a lot of different um, sort of liturgical ritual practices. And one of the ritual practices that we, that we engaged in is after we took the offering every Sunday, we would sing the doxology as the offering was then brought forward and then we would pray for it. And so I, as the regular pianist for that service, played the doxology, I, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, yeah. I played it every week, okay? So this is not a new, this was not a new thing for me. But I remember on one particular occasion, I was playing and we got to, you know, the end. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ah, uh, and just as I lifted up my hands from playing the awe of the amen, in the split second when I took my fingers off of the keys, I forgot what key I was playing in, and I had one chord left to play in the entire song. Twelve different possible keys. <laughs> that it could be in, and about a tenth of a second to make a guess as to what, so, okay, I'll, I'm going to show you what I, I'll show you exactly what I did. Um, yeah. So, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, ah, elapsed time, panic, panic, panic. Amen. <laughs> there was absolutely no hiding that I had forgotten where I was. I just, I just forgot. Um, and that can be an easy thing for us to do. Um, in a lot of ways, the, the writer of James is calling, is calling followers of Jesus to be reminded of what it was that they're doing, to be reminded of what it was they came into the room for, to re be reminded of where it is that they are. 
Now, this passage was written, most scholars agree, by James, who was actually Jesus' half-brother, who was a leader in the church in in Jerusalem. He he came to faith after Jesus' resurrection and, according to most historians, was was likely martyred for his faith. But but James, in writing this book, he, he writes, he states in the opening of the letter that he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations which means he's likely writing to uh, a Jewish audience. And, and, I mean, there's lots of evidence in this throughout the, throughout the book, references to meeting in the synagogue, um, and, and, and his frequent references to the law, you know, meaning the Torah, um, in ways that sort of assume his audience is familiar with this stuff. So he's writing to people who have a background in faith in, in, in God, you know, it's not clear where these believers are, but they were not in Palestine, and they, and they weren't in the Jerusalem area. They were likely um, escaping the persecution that followed the, the martyrdom of Stephen, who was an, a, a leader in the early church. And, and Stephen's martyrdom began what was kind of an open season on Christians at that time. And, and most folks, uh, many of these folks would have been um, fleeing Jerusalem for their lives. Um, this, this was likely, many scholars agree, one of the first, possibly the first New Testament book written. And it was written at a time when the church was just, they were just trying to sort out um, through the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, what exactly are the theological implications of the fact that God has actually now been here. He is lived in the flesh among us. He died to reconcile us to God. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and has sent his spirit to help us to continue to realize this coming of the kingdom of God. What does this mean? What are the theological implications of it? The church is just, we're trying to sort this out at this point in history. These were new ideas, and, and just as the church is starting to figure these things out, folks start getting martyred, and many Christians, like I said, begin to flee the Jerusalem area, some for the first time ever. And so now, okay, because okay, now up until this time, um, for the last 1,100, 1,200 years, um, the, people, the, the worship of the people of God has centered around Jerusalem and the temple there with a few interruptions. But now that they were, they were fleeing, what was worship supposed to look like? And this is what James is, is trying to help people out with. Um, the book of James is largely about what it meant to follow God as manifested through the man Jesus in this new context, in this new reality. So James opens the letter with greetings and an encouragement to sort of persevere in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of persecution. And then he launches into this section that we've already read today. So let's look at that, this section now a little more closely. <coughs> um, starting with verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, the book of James actually has a lot to say about watching how we speak. Um, this is sort of James just sort of getting started on one of his big themes, but he, but he does kind of encapsulate things here. Basically, we're being exhorted to make a practice of being more concerned uh, about listening than we are about talking. 
um, the, the, the peace, uh, uh, like it says in the, in the peace prayer or, or the prayer of St. Francis, as it's sometimes known, the, the person praying says, among other things, O divine master, grant that I, may not, that I may not seek so much to be understood as to understand. James seems to be implying here that a failure to listen is, is something that's at the root of much misunderstanding and much acrimony. Listening seems to be, according to this passage, the, the opposite not only uh, of speaking, but listening seems to be also the opposite of being angry. What's more, James seems to point to anger and to too much yakking as an impediment to hearing from God and, and to do, from doing His will. And, and, and then he goes on in, later on in the book to state the positive corollary that peacemakers, he says in, in chapter 3, verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And then he goes on in verse 21, therefore get rid of the, all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Getting rid of moral filth. Um, the wording in this verse carries the idea of, of, of shedding, uh, shedding an encumbrance, an encumbrance of, of just divesting yourself of something that's holding you back, that's preventing you from, from, from living the kind of righteous life that, that God desires for us to live, something that's going to prevent us from accepting the word that can save us. And then in verses 22 through 25, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sounds like something I might do. But, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. It's, it's not... Just a, it's, not, it's about doing and not just about listening. Whenever the Bible, and, and the New Testament in particular, talks about the Word or the Word of God, it's talking about something that's embodied. Sometimes it's actually talking specifically about Jesus as the living Word of God, but even when it's not referring to Jesus personally, it's talking about something that's embodied. You know, because we, we, you know, we rightly um, refer to the Bible, the, the book, as the Word of God, we can be tempted sometimes to think of the Word of God as simply ink on a page. And, and that's true to an extent, but the, the truth is so much more than that. The Word is supposed to be embodied Jesus himself, as, as I mentioned before, particularly in the book of John, is rever referred to as the living word. And our understanding of the word is to be embodied. James elucidates further by explaining that, that if all we ever do is hear the word, or by extension, read the word, without putting into, it into practice, we're deceiving ourselves. Reading the Bible daily, um, or memorizing scripture and are, you know, our classic spiritual disciplines for a reason, and, and we're encouraged to engage in these practices by Scripture itself in a number of places. These are things that can help us in our spiritual journey. However, if we are, if we are under the impression 
That mere reading and memorization are all that it means to engage Scripture. We're fooling ourselves. We're taught that engaging Scripture is more than just a cerebral exercise. It's more than just a giving of, of intellectual assent. And then James uses the metaphor of a person looking into a mirror to illustrate that engaging Scripture without allowing it to affect how we actually do life is, is pointless. If you only look in a mirror and then forget what you look like, what was the point? What, would, what were we doing it for? Our engagement of Scripture is supposed to have an actual effect in real life on how we do life. And in doing this, by putting what we know, what we claim to believe into action, it's by doing this that we find freedom, according to this passage, and we find blessing. And James goes on to talk about a few things then, um, you know, not showing favoritism to the wealthy and the influential, by holding our, our possessions and even our, our lives and our futures loosely. Um, he goes on to talk about a, a few things that about what it means to embody our faith. But right out of the gate, um, James points to, to uh, a couple of things. One, he talks about in, in verse 26, keeping a hold of your tongue. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Keeping a hold of our tongue. Um, what exactly he means by this is, is unclear, although there are a few things that we could easily conclude are included in this. Um, things like speaking the truth. Things like um, not using language to hurt or tear people down. Um, things like speaking in anger. Things like, he, I mean, he might just be talking about profanity. But at any rate, he's saying that if we fail to keep a tight rein on our tongues, then all of our religion, all of the, the things that we do, all of the stuff that we do, ostensibly for God's glory, is useless if we're careless with how we speak. Singing, our praying, all of our rituals are worthless if we don't control our tongue. But then he goes on to talk about, you know, you know, that would be worthless religion. But then he talks about religion that is good. He says, religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, so what then are the rituals that we ought to be gaining, um, engaging in to bring glory to God? We are to care for the widow and the orphan. Widows and orphans um, were, in, in that culture, a society even, you know, more patriarchal than our own. Um, they were some of the most vulnerable people. And Jesus, through James, is telling his people that in order to worship well, a part of our worshiping well needs to be uh, regularly engaging in acts that serve the most vulnerable people in our culture and in our world. We need to be serving and caring for the helpless and the loveless, those that our culture has forgotten. 
And James goes on uh, to say in the next chapter that to, to show favoritism in that way, that is to, to, to give all of our attention to the, the powerful and the strong and the wealthy and the beautiful, to do that is, he, he goes on to say that, that to do that um, is to show that kind of favoritism is to be polluted by the world. You can sort of read further in, in chapter 2 and understand what he means by that. But he contrasts that with this religion that is pure and, and faultless according to God our Father, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. The bottom line is that serving God is more than just words. It's more than just reading and hearing words, and it's more than just an intellectual assent. Yes, I believe that this is true. You have to remember, we need to remember, that, that Jesus was the living word. And so to engage the word of God is to do as Jesus would do, to can participate in his work of, of bringing about the kingdom. If we don't do that, if we're not doing that as a part of our, of our religion, then our religion is useless. I mean, James is, always, is often presented as sort of a, an Isaiah of the New Testament because in, 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 in many ways, Isaiah's audience in the Old Testament when he's writing is a similar kind of audience. He's writing to people who have been displaced from their homes and are trying to figure out, how do I worship God um, so far from the temple? How do, I, how do I do this? And in doing that, Isaiah writes in, in, chapter, in chapter 1 of Isaiah, we see, um, yeah, I'm just going to read a chunk of this, starting at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking to Israel. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of the rams of, and, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God, in speaking to his people, he doesn't want our rituals if he doesn't have our hearts. He doesn't want our words if he doesn't have our lives. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself 
from being polluted by the world. Um, take a moment if there are any questions. If there are no questions, that's totally okay too. But if you've got questions, you can ask them. Anything's fair game. No? We all agree and stuff? Crazy. All right. Um, that's all right, too. Yeah. Um, I think you're in, you, I think you're looking at verse 26. Jenny was asking, "What does it mean when he says that that our that if if we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue, we deceive ourselves and our religion is useless? Is worth, worthless is the word he uses." Um, I think what what James is saying is that a failure to keep a tight rein, rein on our tongues is indicative of the fact that we are not um, putting into practice, that we're merely giving intellectual assent to, to the teachings of Jesus and to the teachings of, of the apostles. Um, and if all we're doing is giving intellectual assent, then, then our religion is, is worthless. Then all of, our, all, of, all of the ritual, all of um, our labeling of ourselves as Christians is of no consequence. I think, I think what he's suggesting is that um, yeah, that if, 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 we're not, if we're not doing that, if we're not giving our lives um, and, and actually putting into, a pra into practice what's been taught to us, then, then, then all of the other stuff, all of the labels we put on ourselves and all the rituals we go through are, are of of no value. It's, it's, it's worthless. That what's of real value is actually listening and being obedient. You know, better to, better to, to know and to put into action three verses of Scripture than to have the whole book memorized and not, let, and not have it affect your life. I guess. That's my best read of it. Mm -hmm. Who are widows and orphans today? Oh, um, I think, I mean, there are a few things that come to my mind. I'm, I'm actually reticent to, to sort of present a list because I don't think it's, a, I, I don't think we could come up with an exhaustive one. I, I mean, uh, things that just come to my mind, and, and I mean, this is just, but that's just how God is, wired me and the things that he's put on my heart, I think of the homeless, I think of um, new immigrants, I think of battered women, I think of, like, like these are the people that, that come to my mind, but that's just where my heart is. I think, I think it, there's actually a number of, of, of groups of people, and even individuals, 
that, that God might bring to mind in a room like this that would represent the widow and the orphan, people who are, are poor or loveless, people who are lonely, people who are pe- people that the world, the rest of the world might ignore because they have, you know, to, to many people's reckoning, nothing to offer. I think, I think that's who we're talking about probably. Anyone else? Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Why, why does he pair those two? Which two? Uh, widows and orphans and uh, keep yourself uh, made polluted by the world. Do you, do you think there's any reason why those two are paired together? Well, I think they're, they're I mean, I don't think they're absolutely paired together as, as opposites, but James seems to clearly think that they're opposites because the whole next chapter, after he talks about being polluted by the, the world in that last verse, the whole next chapter is about showing favoritism. He goes on like the first few verses of the next chapter. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So, I, I mean, clearly in James's mind, um, polluted by the world is, is buying into, it means a buying into that, that mindset that says that, that people who, who I believe have something to give to me are of value. And people that I don't really think I can get anything out of, well, we'll... we'll, we'll you know, we'll brush them aside because they don't matter. I, I think that's what he means. He's, 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 he's talking about not buying into that popular mindset, but, but seeing people as God sees people. We've got time for maybe one or two more. Uh, Wally and then, and then Jenny. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for reiterating that, Wally. That's great. Jenny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jenny, just for those of you who didn't hear that, Jenny was saying that 
Sometimes she finds the, the book of James troubling because it focuses so much on what we do, uh, issues of social justice and things like that, that, that um, in fact, there are a lot of church fathers that had the same question about James, like Martin Luther. Uh, the, what, he, he, was, he didn't know what to do with the book of James. He wasn't sure it ought to be there <laughs> because he was, he was like, but where's, where's grace in this? You know, how do we... How do, we, how do we reconcile all of these instructions? This is what you must do. If you're a Christian, you must do this. How do you reconcile that with the idea of grace? Um, I don't know. Uh, my, my, best, my, my best understanding is that um, is the idea that without grace, we can't do those things. You know, w- without 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 an understanding of God's grace in our lives, we, we, can't, we can't do those things that, that, that James, that God through the book of James is calling us to. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you keep a tight rein on, on your tongue? How do you, how do you, how can you possibly um, be so focused on pouring out for people who can't give back to you if you don't first have an acute awareness of the fact that God has so profoundly poured into us. Uh, I mean, that's my best understanding of how, of how grace fits into all of that. Um, yeah. Is there anything? Yes. Right. But there were laws. That's the thing. There were laws. And, and that's why Isaiah comes down so hard. That's why Isaiah comes down. And this is even in the Old Testament, right? Well, there is a lot of different kinds of laws. I mean, what you're talking about are, are sort of the societal cultural laws. And, and, there were, and those were deemed serious too. But there were laws about giving and about that were set up to protect um, widows and orphans and, and um, refugees too. Um, there were laws set out in the Bible. If, if you... Uh, I, can't, I can't find you a... a give, maybe this afternoon I'll email you... Uh, well, yeah, the practice of gleaning, but I can't think of what... Let's let people pick up the little bits on the ground. Why, why not say, hey, test what you've picked up yourself and clean with your own ox then, and then give it to that person right there beside you. Why let them sit up and pick up Um, but, I mean, taxes in that culture would have been different because it was, a, it, was a, it was a theocracy, right? So it is a little different. But it's a good question. Um, if, I think of, if I think of the exact references for, for 
those kinds of gleaning things, I'll, I'll send them to you. Um, or if I can think of something more specific, I'll send it to you. But um, yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. But clearly, I mean, God does make it clear through, um, through the prophets. I mean, if you look at Isaiah, if you look at the book of Amos, half of the, half of the uh, minor prophets, the big, you know, the big thing about, um, that most of them were on about is their failure to care for the vulnerable in their midst. If you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about how that was actually the big sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that God destroyed them for, was their failure to care for the poor. So, I mean, it's there. Um, I'll have to, yeah, if you want specific, like, chapter and verse, I'll have to, I'll have to think on that for you. Good question. Thanks. Garrett, one more. That's a, that's a tough one, too. Um, I think that's where faith comes in, um, trusting that, you know, as we surrender what we have to God, that God makes it enough. I mean, it's the, it's the whole, it's the whole um, I mean, if you look at a lot of things in, in Scripture, you see that God is in the, is in the business of taking our inadequacy and making it enough. Um, you can see that in the lives of some of the people who surrendered to God. You can see that even in a, in a more tangible way in the boy, little boy who surrenders his, his loaves and his fish, you know, to Jesus on the mountainside. And, and Jesus takes it and he breaks it and he multiplies it and he feeds multitudes. Um, that's part of it. And I think part of it is also the understanding that it's not just about them. It's not just about the people we serve. It's about what God wants to bring about in us too. It's not just about the result out there, but it's about a result in here too. Um, we should probably call it there. Thank you for all of you for, for those good questions and those things that you brought up. Um, okay, what I want to do just in closing is this. I want to take a moment for quiet reflection. Um, we've all heard God's call on our lives today, whether or not you feel like these ideas, you know, resonated with you or not. Um, if you claim to be a Christian, then God's calling on you is to somehow live this out as an expression, a, a living out of what it is that we profess to believe. So, so I'm going to ask you to take a minute now, take a moment, and, and ask God to bring to your mind someone, um, 
you know, who is somehow poor or vulnerable or lonely. Um, and it might be someone here in this room. Um, it might be someone from your school or your workplace or your neighborhood. Um, I mean, maybe some of you are, are thinking, well, poor, vulnerable, lonely, that's me. Well, that, that may be, um, but let God bring you to somebody else's mind for now. Um, think for a moment about how you might be the hands and feet of the body of Jesus to someone this week to bless them. So let's just take a moment. You can bow your head, close your eyes if that's helpful for you. And let's just take a moment of quiet. Is there a poorer person that you know who might benefit from an anonymous gift of a grocery store gift card? Um, Is there an older person or a differently abled person on your street who could use some help mowing their lawn or with some other things around his or her house? Is there a person who um, maybe always seems to be eating their lunch alone and would be glad of some company or a kind word or, or a smile? You know, or maybe you feel like God is calling you to something bigger, something more organized or something that requires the cooperation of many people to serve a vulnerable people group. Um, the homeless, the sick, addicts, uh, new Canadians, victims of domestic violence. Let's just take a moment of, of, of quiet right here and, and dream together. Father God, we thank you for your deep, incredibly profound love for the world you created. 
indeed that you love us so much that you came and you died to redeem us to yourself. Thank you, too, that having redeemed us, you now invite us to be a part of your great world, your great work of loving the world, of blessing people, of caring for the poor and the oppressed, of bringing in your kingdom, a kingdom of love and peace and mercy and justice for all people. So thank you for the ideas that you have planted in us even this morning, Lord, and I ask that you would continue to stir our hearts for the glory of your name. Amen. Um, so, yeah, there are refreshments there if you want to come forward for prayer. Um, if you have further questions and, or you want to talk to me a little bit more about what we've talked uh, about this morning, come talk to me too. Um,